what's most important to me, to be true to myself as what I would call an eternal optimist. I've got to teach this concept of turning challenge into opportunity, of taking bad or taking a fear or a deficit and turning into abundance. It's caused me to play a bold game in life, being bold and taking action. These are skills that are sorely missing out there in corporate America. And there is a high price tag for these skills. All the things I learned from Cutco, from all these great mentors, and all the things and the people in my life that I owe, I need to give my best to them. They deserve the best I have to offer. And they will not get that if I'm a victim and if I am always thinking about the pain, the challenge, I've got to find a way to turn this into something good. And that's what we do with every experience, is we find a way to take the light from it and amplify that light. That's the voice of Coach Matt Drinkon, a man with a lifetime of experience in turning challenges into advantages. Matt's leadership skills were forged through his experience as a Cutco Vector Marketing District Manager and through two three-year roles in corporate sales management. His positive mindset has been sharpened through various life experiences, including a 30-month attempt to make it in the difficult field of professional golf and an odds-defying comeback from a crippling spinal injury. Matt is an eternal optimist who shares his wisdom with high-performing individuals and teams, helping them to level up their achievements. Coach Matt has a wide array of stories and lessons to share to provide value for others, and we get the best of these in this informative and fun conversation. From Pro Advisor Coach, this is Matt Drinkon. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I have a very, very cool guest today. You're going to enjoy this. His name is Matt Drinkon. Matt's days with Cutco Vector go back to 1998 when he started as a sales rep in South Carolina with Bowen Asserson uh, in the Silver Cup branch office that summer. Matt became a branch manager the following year and uh, in North Carolina and then was promoted to district manager at the end of that second summer with the company back in 1999. Uh, he was a district manager for about five years in North Carolina and South Carolina, produced about $3 million in Cutco sales and had a successful run with the company. After leaving Cutco Vector, Matt pursued professional golf for a little while. He ventured into the corporate world and had a few different roles there, which he'll share a little bit about today. And now he is working with Pro Advisor Coach, where he guides high performers and their teams to stretch themselves and level up their games. He's going to teach you a lot about that today. Coach Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Mr. Dan Cassetta. It is truly a pleasure to be here with you today. Ready to rock and roll, brother. Excellent. Well, let's have the audience get to know you a little bit, Matt. I'd love uh, for people to hear a little bit about uh, your background before Cutco. Okay, well, let's kick it off first with a little bit of the way, way, way back background. Uh, before Cutco, my father was in the military, and we moved 17 times in 21 years growing up. So before I came into Cutco, I had already lived in 13 different states. I had moved 17 times. I had had to go to school for the first time for a new school on 10 different occasions. 
uh, including wow. three different high schools. Oh, man. And some of those memories of walking into the lunchroom, like in seventh grade, seeing Steve, when I went to go sit down at the table and getting the Forrest Gump seat taken, that really happened uh, in seventh grade. And that was like the horrible, horrible first day there. You know, and, and after that, the feeling and the experience of walking into a new school, it was something that uh, every time was a new challenge and kind of a new opportunity to, to make your way. I was always a little bit taller than everyone else. If, if your viewers aren't seen or just listening, then you can't see me. But I'm right now I'm, I'm six foot seven. Uh, I was always a little bit taller and I had these huge glasses. I mean, my glasses were like bottle ca- bottle caps, huge glasses. I, I never got the smaller ones until later when I was much cooler in college. when I got the John Lennon, the tiny ones, uh, but they were huge, a little bit awkward. I always had braces, you know, so I know I'm, t- I'm painting a picture of this, huge nerd. And, and for all intents and purposes, that, that was me, uh, with a big smile who, who cared about everyone who was kind of friends with everyone and, uh, going into Cutco, that's where we are. So yeah, yeah, yeah. here we are. Stage 21. So cool to hear about that, uh, that background, Matt. So then it's 1998. You ventured in to apply for work with Cutco, uh, in Greenville, South Carolina. Tell us about this. Well, back in the day, we used to have these recruiting tools called road signs. I don't know if they're used today in the Cutco world, but on the way to Papa Sam's, which is the local Waffle House, basically, on the way to Papa Sam's at 1 a.m. in the morning, I'm sitting in the passenger side of the car. I may have been out late. There may have been a couple of uh, beverages involved. I remember seeing this sign. I saw it a number of times. It ended up saying $12 per appointment. And... Dan, I was coming from the previous summer where I had made $5.50 an hour cutting grass at the local golf course for 40 hours a week. And I would try to game the system. I would try to make it so that I could do an extra like 42 hours and like clock in a few minutes early and a few minutes late. So I could get that exciting overtime pay just <laughs> so I could get my $190 to $212 paycheck after tax. Oh, so. Uh, I saw that sign. I was like, I, I want to do that. But I never wrote it down until this one fateful morning at 1 a.m. I had a pin. I wrote it on my hand on a Saturday night. I wrote it on my hand. On Monday, I called the number. It was a voicemail recording. It said, show up here at this time in this place. So I show up for this wonderful interview. And I, I get in there and the assistant manager, Melissa, I'm sure she'll listen to this. She's, she's a dear friend, Facebook friend. I, I love her to death. She did my interview. And when we cut that rope, oh my goodness, I never cooked a day in my life, but I love that we can cut that rope, cut that leather, cut the penny, turn into a corkscrew, and the people were fantastic. I've got to give this a shot. Once again, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do this. I don't know if I had the confidence to do this, but the allure of $12 per appointment to me was originally what brought me there. Uh, The energy is what kept me there through the interview. And then when we got to training, there were so many people in there. They were all fired up, and that was pretty cool. I met Bowen Asterson. He was the branch manager, and, man, that guy was so energetic. And He could inspire you to do anything. And literally, by the time that training was done, I felt that I could actually do this. So I went out of training like a rock star. I had a stellar performance in my fast start, Dan. I went out there that first weekend. I had my first 13 appointments. Uh, my amount of sales rhymed with uh, Hero. Yes, it was zero CPO. Uh, and then I actually had... I know, right? Amazing. On top of that, I got, I think, 10 referrals-ish in the very beginning. A couple of them were wrong numbers. So it wasn't uh, the most aspiring start. I went back to the office for advanced training. And I remember going in there. And John Gentry was the other assistant manager in the office, still also a dear friend to this day. I went in there. and, And I don't think I was going in there to quit. But he must have seen this before when people go in there. They didn't exactly have their their best stellar start. So he said, Matt, you should go on field training. And I'll never forget this because I went on field training with a, lady, with a young lady named Janan. And I've since, I've not spoken with Janan, but I went and watched her do a two and a half hour long demo at an apartment complex for a young married couple. They didn't buy anything, but I learned that it wasn't just me memorizing the presentation, which I memorized it word for word. I'm one of those people that systematically remembers things like that, but I didn't connect with the people. And I learned that from Janan in one demo, how to connect with the people and how to actually cut things and ask questions and make it fun for them. And after that, I went on a tear. 
you know, and then and the remaining five days of my fast start, I ended up selling 810 CPO. So that was that was a good start uh, after my slow start. And then after that, I went to that first divisional meeting. And that's when I met on or around June 7th or 8th or 9th. I met Larry Manley, our division manager. And Larry was a young buck back then. I mean, he's still young. But I met Larry. And upon meeting him, I was so amazed at the way he could, he could work the room and stand there at the front and speak so confidently. It was just an overwhelming experience to even meet him, right? So I didn't get to stand up for very long in the Cutco countdown. So in any event, we moved forward. I had a great experience my first division meeting. I loved everything we were doing. And by the end of the summertime, I turned 0 for 13 into, I was number three in my office. I was number six in the division. And there were hundreds, I don't know, several hundred, I want to say like six or 700 reps in the division. And I finished number six. And it was such a great experience for me, Dan, that I decided that I needed to go in that management training program. It was an amazing experience for me for the next eight months. Tell us about uh, the Time and Leadership Academy. One thing really stands out when I think about a learning lesson is that I learned how to practice my game. And what I mean by that is the very first time that an interview ever happened. I remember that Melissa and I were the two assistant managers, and we were going to go and do our very first recruiting interview. I am watching her and taking notes on her. And she is up there doing the interview. And we used to write on a whiteboard back in the day. We used to write the word Cutco, which is the brand of knives that we sell on the board. But she didn't go up there and write Cutco. On her first interview, and she might kill me for saying this, but she wrote C-U-T-O, Cutto. <laughs> and for some reason, I always remember this. And I, I feel like it is my obligation to stand up, stop the interview, and correct her and go write the C or tell her to write the C. And that's when I learned right there the power of you know, letting people learn through the experience. Because eventually she actually saw that during the interview and she changed it. She wrote the C, uh, right? But we've got to let them learn through it. And, and I feel that during that interview process of watching her, it helped me gain more confidence. And then fast forward another couple of weeks, now I'm doing interviews. And I had never done that before. I'm now doing interviews in front of uh, I think that my, my first interview was like seven or eight people, you know, and fast forward. Now I've done interviews with Cutco as in the leadership Academy. I think I'd end up doing one interview that I had like 30 some odd people show up for it on a Friday night, you know, and the confidence that it was instilled in me from a young age, when I was still in school, being able to do that, it was an amazing experience. So I think that was probably the biggest thing was learning how to interview, learning how to be okay with messing up, making mistakes, but knowing that that's the means to an end. Now, that is the only way to get better is to practice in the line of fire under, under real-time circumstances. And that was one of the biggest things I learned in Leadership Academy. That's awesome. So cool to hear. I love just how you built these relationships with assistant managers from 23 you know, years ago that you still talk to today. And that says a whole lot about the value of the Cutco Vector experience and how powerful it can be the relationships that we build early on. And of course, it's it's great to hear that you struggled at first, 0 for 13, and then turned it around through field training. You you hung in there and uh, began to turn the, uh, the uh, results around, and I'm sure it got better and better as you continued. And you had a chance, Matt, to work with some real legends in the business and be impacted by some pretty amazing people, huh? I certainly did. And I think now is a great time to bring this back full circle, Dan, something that I've wanted to share with you for a long time. I remember going to a conference when I was in the Leadership Academy, getting ready to launch the branch. I remember that I went to a conference and I heard Mr. Lloyd Reagan speak. And he gave this speech. It was, it was 10 ways to do something. I don't remember the exact title of it, but it was such a moving speech to me. And right before he spoke, I got a chance to hear you speak for the first time. And you said something to the effect of, and I wrote this down just to make sure, don't wish you had fewer problems, wish you had better skills. It was some iteration of a Jim Rohn quote that I heard you say in the fall or in the springtime in 1999. And I remember that. I wrote it down at that conference, Dan, and that was, what, 22 years ago. And I remember meeting you for the first time in 2019 in San Diego face-to-face. 
And I had carried this with me for 20 years. I'd never met you before, never had a one-on-one conversation with you before, but the impact that that one line had on me throughout the course of my professional career and my life has been outstanding. The lesson learned there has been such a critical one that I've used in almost every major challenge in life. Uh, most recently, for example, I think about when, when COVID started last year, you know, the, the, all of us being together at the house, the kids aren't going to school. I'm running a business full-time here from the house. My wife's having her job move from full-time office to full-time working remotely to all the kids now here in the house, not in school. Uh, we've had a full-time nanny with us for some time since our kids were born, and she now has the stay-at-home order, so she can't be here. So all of that, and I know everyone is dealing with this. Well, we were dealing with this in a very specific way of you know, how do we do all this together? And I asked myself a question is, it's not to wish less problems, it's how do we develop the skills to get through this and grow my business and enhance Julie's performance in her job and give the kids the greatest education they can have all at the same time while we're in a stressful situation? So that question, that thought that you had planned to seed my brain way back in 1999, that was a, a mega concept that still lives me to this day. And, and it brings to life every day. So I wanted to honor you on your podcast with that because I've been wanting to say that to you for a long time. That was that was one thing. Thanks. I appreciate that. You're welcome. You made a huge impact on me, Dan. I also wanted to share, I mean, Bowen Asterson, still a friend to this day. He's someone that had a, an amazing impact on me with one of the things he taught me. Uh, and he taught me how to, let's see the words, beg for forgiveness is better than ask for permission. <laughs> you know, and how to use that. Well, that right there has caused me to ask hard questions. It's caused me in my life, it, it's led me down a path where when others would shy away from really asking someone what they're thinking or asking for the order or asking someone who's upset, uh, you know, what part they may have played in that. I mean, asking hard questions is what I took from that, digging in. And if there's anyone that feels bad about that or they feel defensive, then that's okay. I will beg for their forgiveness afterwards. But it's caused me to play a bold game in life, Dan, where you know I tend to go all in and get very transparent and very real very quickly. So that was one of the greatest things I learned from Bowen was the being bold and taking action. Still, on my wall behind my webcam right now is a letter that Bowen wrote me back after we won that Silver Cup, and I, and I keep it here every day to remind me to do that. You know, and that might be a decent lesson if anyone out there is taking notes. Uh, when you take a great note or take a great lesson, how do you bring that to life every day? How might you take that lesson and carry it forward so you remember it? So it doesn't just go into one ear and out the other. So that's why I have Bowen's uh, letter right up here on the wall still to this day. I'll share one more of a legend in the business, Larry Manley. You know, he was my division manager. And the impact that Larry had on me was, was tremendous. And, and the first way that happened, I'll never forget, after my second summer, we had done quite well. I saved a good amount of money. You know, our business was, was going well. But I wasn't uh, great at actually saving that money. Uh, I tended to live a, a little bit higher lifestyle than what I really could afford. And I felt it because so much was coming in that, you know, I could afford to spend it. And I remember Larry talking to me about the power of, of compound interest and investing. And I began investing for the first time in 2001, which would be my third summer as a manager of the company because of some advice that, that Larry gave me uh, and because of a workshop that Mr. Amar DeVay had run on the same subject. You know, and these are, these are lessons that they pass you by at a young age because we're so young, we'll have time. If I could go back and tell myself any, any wise wisdom and stage advice, it would be to listen a little bit more at some of those divisional meetings and conferences because the wisdom that they're sharing can be life-changing. And imagine applying it 10, 15, 20, 30 years before someone might if they started at my age now. And I'm 44 now. And I'm glad that I started then. But I can tell you that there's nuggets of wisdom to be learned right there, my friend. Uh, mm -hmm. All we need to do is listen. 
It's yeah. right there. Yeah. I mean, you were lucky to have such a great guy like Larry as your division manager. And I love what you said about Bowen. I love what you said about like the energy and the inspiration. I can remember feeling that when you're in person with that guy, like you could feel that there was an energy and inspiration. And what you said about he taught you to play a bold game in life. That is such a great mm -hmm. insight. I love that insight right there. And so uh, just the uh, great stuff. And, you know, and thank you again for the, the shout out to me as well as acknowledging Lloyd Reagan for delivering something really meaningful to you back in those days. So then you were a district manager, Matt, for about five years. What uh, are your favorite memories of those years? I'll tell you the first big challenge that came up. I remember getting promoted to district manager after my branch summer at the, the Conference of Champions. And two weeks after that, my branch office lease expired. And I learned how to negotiate a lease, sign a lease, and, and go about the, the process of looking for office space. That was a great skill I learned during my branch summer. Well, carry that over to my district office, and I signed a lease on a, on a better office. I was excited about it. I'd, I'd written my check, put my deposit down. I had a contract in my hand. It was a Friday. I'd forwarded all my calls. Uh, with the old phone system. We packed up everything into the U-Haul. Everything is now in this U-Haul. It's Friday afternoon. It's 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. Things about to shut down around town at 5. I called the new landlord, and I was supposed to take possession of my new key uh, at that time. And I'll never forget what he said to me. Uh, without any emotion at all, he said, Matt, I've decided to cancel our contract and sign another tenant, and they're moving in this weekend, not you. And when he said that to me, I like instantaneously, I didn't see red and get mad. I had a, a moment of panic because I'd already invested pretty heavily in, in the advertising that was going to drop on Sunday and Monday in the newspaper. We did a lot of advertising that way back then. I have a full-time staff of two that I've employed. Uh, and, and where are they going to go? And where are my phones going to go? They're forwarded right now to my cell phone. Uh, which I didn't have a, a plan on that was all that all that nice during the daytime. So how is all this going to work? I had no idea. Uh, and that was the blip on the radar for a moment. However, go back to my branch manager training, everything I learned by running a branch, and you can learn more by running a branch than you can learn just about doing anything else you've done in your entire life. You know, I took that one moment of fear and converted that into how do I turn this into an advantage? How do I turn this into something that can help me? And I instantly had a game plan. You know, and due to, call what you will, luck uh, or just sheer uh, you know, whatever energy or positivity or charisma or whatever, I got someone on the phone that was sympathetic to my cause that had showed me office spaces that I chose not to go with. And they didn't have any of those spaces available, but they went to someone else and someone else, this big real estate guy in town of Winston-Salem, he had a spot. Uh, it was unfurnished, unbilt out, a giant 5,000 square foot, one room. Uh, but I got one giant room with two little satellite offices on the side of this room and, and one bathroom. Uh, and I got that for $1,000 a month. And I thought I was living on cloud nine. So like three hours later, I was pretty fired up. That was the first story. And there are a number of stories. My district manager experience was phenomenal. I learned so much about, I mean, the things that, that I go back to are the things where I overcame the most adversity. I remember the one time I had the biggest show to training I'd ever had. It was in the summer of 2002, and I had 58 people show up. I got a dear friend of mine, Scott Nunavisa, who I'm sure will listen to this. Hey, Scott. I remember Scott came to me right when day two of training was starting, and he said to me, hey, Matt, our receptors didn't show up today. And I was like, oh, Scott. Dude, that's the one thing you don't want to come say to me is I'm getting prepped to run training. I had to give Scott a little shout out there. But I also have to give him a shout out because, I mean, these relationships are powerful. But the things that really resonate are these life skills of being able to adapt on the spot, of developing grit, of developing the ability to, to know that the first time I do something is probably not the best I'm ever going to be at it. I've got to practice. There's one more DM experience that I've shared with every client as a story of humility and uh, fear that I feel would be helpful for our audience. Yeah. I remember that one time leading into a one of the summer conferences, our team had done really well. 
so well that I got invited to speak at the big SC2 conference. And I remember that there were literally a couple thousand people at this event. It was huge. And I get a chance to speak. And that's, that was at that time the largest crowd I'd ever been in front of. And I'm already pretty high energy, but my energy when I get nervous is putting into giving in more energy. So I get up there on stage after I'm introduced. I think it was Amar that introduced me, if I recall. Anyways, I get up there on stage and rather than just going to the podium and giving my speech, I run up to the podium and I jump, do like a little jump stop, like I'm playing basketball right up there to the podium because I'm full of energy. And when I did that, the most sensational thing happened. My pants ripped from behind and I could hear it and I could feel it that they ripped all the way from my belt at the top, all the way down my inseam, down to my leg. And I can feel the breeze on my backside. So literally, I'm getting ready to give the biggest speech of my life at that moment. And my pants have got a giant hole in them, no pun intended. I've got a giant hole back there. And the, the air is back there breathing on me. And I am not a standstill speaker, Dan. I'm a walk back and forth and get the energy flowing and get up there in front of the crowd. And at that moment, that kind of threw me into this mental place. And what I learned from this is that this narrative is only happening in my mind. Nobody else knows this. Nobody else is feeling this pain or this fear right now but me, right? So I'm there in this moment. My backside is exposed. I'm going to give this huge speech. And rather than do my normal pace, walk back and forth, I paced, but I paced and kept my entire body facing 90 degrees forward. So I was like I was at a carnival. My body was just moving back and forth on one of those trays and that was my first big speech. So anyways, that was a, a story I wanted to share because nice. the narrative right there was just inside of here. And it wasn't oh, cool. in anyone else's brain. Yeah. And I've I used that it. before or since then. Whenever stuff happens that's, that's challenging, you know, I go back to that moment of I'm the only one that's having a challenge right now. No one else is feeling this or seeing this challenge that I'm having in my brain. So you know what? It's not that big of a deal. Uh, that's how I've dealt with a lot of challenges. Yeah, not that big of a deal. So, anyways, DM experience, Dan, was was phenomenal for me in so many ways. Yeah, it's so cool to hear how you you know faced all these different types of challenges, and and now we laugh about them, right? And what's really funny too is that the modern day district manager of 2021 who's listening, like they don't have to get office space, they don't have to have 58 people in a room, they don't have to have any of that stuff because it's all virtual now, and so it's pretty crazy to think about you know, how we've transformed, but the challenges still exist and the ups and downs still exist. And all of those things that you learn from, they exist in, you know, the modern day vector and there's, and, and they exist in any business and they're such important lessons. And you got a chance to learn a lot of them at a young age and have good mentors to help take you through that. So pretty cool stuff. Tell us about, uh, your experiences playing pro golf. Pro Golf was an amazing, amazing learning experience. What I mean by that is I made zero dollars. I did not make any professional cuts. I learned that professional golf is not for me. I wanted to be the next Tiger Woods. And at that time, Tiger was, was doing his thing right in the early part of his career. And he's just a year older than me. So I wanted to be that. And I realized quickly, we gave it a 30-month window. Uh, and in that 30 months, we didn't make anything happen. So we had to take a reality pill now and uh, get back to real life. And that's, you know, when I came back. But there is an emotional part to this story that I wanted to hit on for a moment. The reason that I ended up trying professional golf is that when my father, he was a big golfer. He brought golf into my life. We played a lot of golf together. And, and you know, that was one of the things we bonded around. And I remember the last weekend, the weekend of Memorial Day, 2005, that was a three-day golf tournament. We played together. We had a great time together. We are both pretty strong come maybe stubborn sometimes, uh, but strong type A personalities. And we had sometimes, you know, butted heads. And he always had great advice, but I was a stubborn son who didn't always listen and just couldn't hear the advice, even though it was great advice. And that weekend of that golf tournament, we bonded tremendously. He gave me great advice. I listened. We cleared the air and anything we had outstanding. It was it was an amazing three days. And then the next morning, that was Memorial Day weekend, 2005. And then the next morning, I went home that night, Monday night. I drove two hours back to where I live in Atlanta. And then the next morning at 7 or 4, I got the call from mom that dad just died. 
you know, and it was sudden. It was sudden. It was a, it was an aortic aneurysm. It was very sudden, unexpected, and he was gone. And that was uh, the worst day of my life. But I like to take things that are the worst and figure out, you know, what, what's the good that can come of this. And at that moment, you couldn't say what's the good that can come out of this because that was just a, it was a real low, low day. But the good that did eventually come out of it is that I got much closer to mom, and she shared with me his diary. And one entry was he wished that he could have caddied for me playing pro golf. So at that moment, uh, you know, I did not have the next career where I was going, so I decided to play pro golf. And that's, that's where we started the pro golf trip. It was because of dad. And I think that one thing that I really wanted to share today, above all, is that if any of your listeners have any stuff, any unresolved issues with their folks or any loved one, uh, it's not worth it to have that there in case tragedy should strike. Because I can, I can very happily and luckily, gratefully say that uh, I don't have any chips on my shoulder about dad. You know, we had a great last time together and we didn't have anything that was uh, a barrier or uh, unspoken. And for those that do, I, I, my heart goes out to them. But I would encourage everyone to go and talk to their family members and, and love them, especially now because it's going to be Mother's Day this week and Father's Day soon. Thanks for sharing that, Matt. I appreciate that. So where did the path lead you? after that? And how did it end up getting you to coaching? It led me into corporate America, Dan, for the first time I took a job somewhere. Uh, and when I got that first job, it was very interesting because my resume, it had, I mean, awesome. It had six years of Cutco on it, which is great. Uh, and then it had like a three-year gap. And I had to explain that to a lot of people. And I went into corporate America with superb interview skills because not only had I done thousands of interviews, I had successfully hired thousands of people. I trained thousands of people. Uh, I knew how to sell. I knew how to be in front of a crowd. And, and I knew you know, how to perform in an interview. So it was easy. I took a, a total of 25 job interviews. Uh, I got 24 job offers. Uh, and I took the last one. And uh, that one was, it was great. It was a great experience. You know, I went for three years to a company called Clearwire and, and learned a lot in the corporate world. Built teams, built direct teams, indirect teams, all different types of skills that were building upon the skills I learned in Cutco. Now I took it to a business threshold where I learned B2B skills, or you might call it calling on businesses, uh, developing people in a corporate setting. It's a little bit different than developing people in an entrepreneurial setting like Cutco, but doing that in a corporate setting, learning those differences, learning the skills, learning the patience it takes to work within a bureaucracy sometimes of a larger company, many skills taken away from there. And then after that, I chose to come back to the South. And this was all over the country. I, I did clear all over the country. Great experience. I came back to the South of Charlotte, North Carolina. And then I worked at a company called Time Warner Cable Business Class and, and led a sales organization of uh, outside business development representatives. Uh, I did great at that. Made some great friendships and still have great relationships there today. And all told, we have three years of corporate at one company, three years of corporate at another company. And at this point, I feel like I love the people that report to me. I love my people. And I love this stability because it was, it was good. It was really good pay. Uh, and it was a really secure job. Yet I had the itch to go and be an entrepreneur again. And how do you go and be an entrepreneur with all of these skills? And I did not want to build a company where I had hundreds or thousands of employees. I wanted to go and do something on my own for a little while. So I met a near and dear friend, one of my best friends this day, Rich Campy. And I joined his company with Pro Advisor Coach, which is where I am right now today. And our coaching firm has, has grown tremendously since then. I've been here for seven years, coached thousands of, of people, hundreds of organizations. And it's something that all of these skills, it started with Vector and it built on in corporate America. These are skills that are sorely missing out there in corporate America. And there is a high price tag for these skills when one knows how to take them and market them. So I learned how to do that and I've been doing that now for, for seven years and it has been incredible. It's been incredible. But that's the path into coaching was taking yeah. all of these things from Vector. So that's so that's great. And tell us about some of these key skills that you are teaching, key concepts that you enjoy sharing most when you're coaching others. Great, great question. I, I'll start with, What's most important to me? To be true to myself as what I would call an eternal optimist, I've got to teach this concept of turning challenge into opportunity, of taking bad or taking 
a fear or a deficit and turning into abundance. You know, so that would be the first thing that that's just me bringing that to the coaching organization that I'm a part of now, where we have a very consistent set structure. It's amazing. You know, we have a Nobel Prize nominated thinking tool that we use called the MindScan, you know, based on uh, the research of Dr. Robert S. Hartman. And I've sent that MindScan, done that review with thousands of people now. It's not a personality test. It's a thinking test, which measures our biases and our clarity and our thinking. And it's absolutely fantastic. It's helped me to help others understand where their strengths can be maximized, where we can minimize their weaknesses, and how to either avoid the places they're likely to fail, or if they're bold, go straight through those places they're likely to fail and overcome those. It's given me a very specific methodology to coach high performers and teams on such ideas as you know how to build and maintain a thriving culture, which if you're listening and you're part of Cutco, you know that we have that at Cutco. And that is not something that's easily found in corporate America. So taking that, that skill I have from Cutco and putting it into my coaching framework is one. I'd say that the ability to take a problem or take a goal, depending on the way you think of it, you know, take anything that you want, goal, problem, and figure out a way to turn it into a game where there's a very clear way you can win and there's a clear way you can continue to track and level up. And that's what Pro Advisor Coach has done, is we've been able to gamify results and gamify all the goals. So we have a very unique system of, of tracking and stack ranking the people on a team based on their goals. And our clients love it. You know, it, it's been phenomenal to coach with such a method and power and credibility behind me that uh, it's crazy to me that we don't have more people trying to do coaching in a reputable coaching place where there is a process and a system. Because I think that there's one distinguishing thing to, to talk about when we're talking about favorite concepts to coach people on is that we have what we call life coaches out there, Dan, who have great conversations and it can be very sometimes very deep and meaningful, yet sometimes that may not translate to business actions. It may be tough to really calculate what's the ROI on that other than I might feel better. Right? And then you have a business coach who talks strategies and tactics, but that person may not get under the waterline and get really deep into what's really holding someone back, right? So at ProAdvisor Coach, we do above and below the waterline coaching and consulting, and we really give the best of both worlds. And that's really you know, what we coach to. Those are some of the main, main ideas. And then we'll take some of the main challenges we see out there. They're, they're not that different across companies. It's culture. It's you know, getting others to maintain focus and really do the 80-20 rule, or if you're really high-performing, the 95-5 rule. You know, it's helping teams to connect through their differences and help them realize that they're all connected in the same vision and mission. So I'm super excited to do that. I get to wake up every day and walk downstairs and, and, and coach people over Zoom face-to-face. So it's been, it's been transformational in our life because no one wants, quote, an unfit coach. I'll be PC. No one wants an unfit coach. So we've really got to practice what we preach here. So it's really helped me to do the same thing. And, and to build on top of that, it has led me back to, bring it full circle here, Dan, back to the cut-kill vector relationships that were so important to me growing up in my professional development. One of my biggest clients now today used to be a cut-kill rep of mine for only a month in the January program back in 2001. And now that person's an executive at a large Fortune 50 company in that they reached out to me, and now I'm coaching in that company for the last few years. You know, so it's, it's amazing to bring it back to the relationships that we built at Cutco. Gosh, so cool to hear, Matt. I just love it. I love it. I want to ask you more about the idea of gamifying what we do, because I know you, you mentioned one thing is that you try to gamify accountability. You try to gamify like team huddles that organizations have. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, thanks for asking. It's, it's really simple, even though it might sound complex, but it's really simple. It's we take whatever this individual or this team's goals might be, and we try to boil it down to what are the most important one or two or three things that you want to accomplish in this time frame. You know, and then we figure out what are those one or two things that this person needs to do on a daily, weekly basis to get there. And whatever they say, we put it into our very unique, robust online platform. We gamify it. And that means that each week, 
they can log into our site, and in less than 60 seconds, they can update their avatar, which is a little picture of them uh, that tells us where they're trending towards their goals. And then through the miracle of IT people that I cannot explain to you, all these avatars show up on a team grid, and it tells us how good the team is doing, and it tells us how good each individual player is doing, and people don't want to be at the bottom of that stack ranking. You know, and it all goes back to one concept of in 10 seconds or less, you tell me how well you're doing and how well your team is doing towards your goals. And if you can't answer that question in 10 seconds or less, then you may not be clear on the actions that you believe will get you there or clear on what your goals are. So when I say gamifying, we make it really simple in a snapshot, in a glance, you can tell how you're doing according to your goals. And whether we need coaching to get back on track or you're going to share some with the team now because you're doing really well, it gives us a chance to really highlight the success and really lift up those that might be struggling. So that's, that's the start. Sounds a lot of fun. Process. Sounds a lot of fun. I like oh. that. I like that a lot. I really appreciate what you shared about the idea of turning challenge into opportunity. I just think that that mindset more than almost anything else anybody could learn is one of the most valuable things that's out there because every single one of us is going to go through some stuff in our life. And, uh, and particularly in business, when we're trying to accomplish big goals and things are happening so fast, there's literally something on a daily basis that happens that isn't what we expected or isn't what we wanted. And being able to have what many people do when they see these things is they view it as this roadblock and they, they say, oh, maybe I can't do this then. Maybe I should set a lower goal or maybe I should go do this over here. And what champions do is they look at all of those things with the lens of where is the opportunity? What are the solutions? How can I elevate myself to be able to overcome this experience and, and it really comes to play a lot in our business. And, you know, as you know, it comes to play in personal life as well. It sure does, Dan. You, you caused me to pause here and almost get emotional thinking about a, a story I want to share with the team that I remember very clearly uh, a personal story of overcoming this, this adversity, real life, where, you know, this optimism, this positive, this energy that I exude, where was it tested? You know, where, where was this really challenged and, and tested that gives you, Matt, the right to, to show this and share this with the world and coach people with this? Well, one particular time where I had to look that fear and that pain straight in the eye uh, happened in 2016. I remember that uh, there was an injury that I had sustained in Labor Day weekend, 2015, you know, I was going down a zip line and uh, the zip line broke. I fell to the ground and I fell and, and fell on my tailbone and it, it did some things to my spine. And I was able to, to get up that day and, and walk out of there, but I was in pain when I walked out. And over the next few months, my health deteriorated. And by January of 2016, I was in a really tough spot. And I decided that we need to seek out all anything and everything that we could to solve this. And I tried everything, Dan. I tried acupuncture, hypnotherapy. Uh, I, I tried, uh, you know, physical therapy, chiropractic. I got to a place where I had to do cortisone shots in my spine, you know, and those are the things that, uh, that I knew to try and a couple others. But I'd say that at that point, I was down to a place where I couldn't leave the house. Uh, I have a two-story home. We're grateful for that. And, and in our home, uh, our master bedroom is upstairs. I couldn't get upstairs. I couldn't get upstairs to pick up our, our one-year-old baby out of the crib. My wife is uh, six months pregnant, getting ready to have her second child, and I'm not able to cook dinner anymore. I'm not able to stand up for more than about 30 seconds anymore. My the, the overwhelming pain became so much that I was reduced to laying on the floor in my office all day, every day. Getting up to go to the bathroom was also a challenge. You know, there, there were just so many things you take for granted in everyday life that I could not do anymore. And then I come back to the main tenet of psychology the way that I've learned it and, and my coaching practice, the main idea of that what you do not love will come back to you until you learn to love and accept it. And in that moment of, of pain, uh, of overwhelming, excruciating pain, all I could think about is pain. I knew that, uh, you know, I had to accept that and, and do something about it, or I could be a victim. So we decided to have uh, a spinal surgery, which was a very risky surgery. 
Uh, it was not a spinal fusion. It was called a discectomy. We had that on June 14th of 2016. I was literally in a wheelchair in that week leading up to it. I could not walk anymore. I had cried a number of times and prayed, and my wife and I discussed it, and this was the only option we saw. And I went into that surgery with the hope that I would come out walking, but with the expectation that I wouldn't because I was, I was okay with that. I learned to accept it. And my mindset was, no matter what happens here, I'm going to give my very best shot to, to do this justice, to, to still be a positive light in the world and not suck the energy out of others, but to always be an energy giver. So I went in that surgery, Dan, and miraculously, we came out and we were able to walk. Uh, and that was uh, the, the most joyous and glorious thing is that we were able to walk. And my wife and I cried there in the uh, recovery room. And uh, it was an amazing time. Followed. And that was a very serious story. Uh, with very serious um, undertones, but I'll finish with a smile, is that when I got out of the operating room and I could walk, the lead nurse said to me, Matt, you're welcome to leave as soon as you go to the bathroom. So one of the things about spine surgery is it's not easy for you to go to the bathroom. So I couldn't pee. And she said to me, Matt, if you can't pee in the next two hours, I'm going to have to give you this catheter. And she showed me this thing. It looked like a freaking arm. It was like as big as a, as a, as a baseball bat. It looked like it, it wasn't really that size, but it was terrifying to look at. So as soon as you showed that to me, literally, I was peeing within like two minutes in that bathroom uh, and we were able to go home. So to put a nice smile on the end of that story, that was the story of overcoming that fear and really facing it down and, and not succumbing to it. And it would have been easy to do that, play the victim card. But all the things I learned from Cutco, from all these great mentors, and all the things and the people in my life that I owe, I need to give my best to them. And that's the way I feel about the people I love is they deserve the best I have to offer. And they will not get that if I'm a victim. And if I am always thinking about the pain, the challenge, I've got to find a way to turn this into something good. And that's what we did with that experience. And that's what we do with every experience is we find a way to take the light from it and amplify that light. And that's the way we live life. And I think that's my story. And that's, that's what I wanted to share with you today, Dan. Amazing. Thank amazing. You. Matt, such great stuff. As you look into the future, what are you most excited about right now? Well, first of all, I'll, I'll share with you that I am excited about uh, my podcast, which I've been attempting to launch it now for some time. I've got the episodes recorded, the first 11 at least. I'm nearly ready to launch. It's the Eternal Optimist podcast. All right. And when that launches, I'll, I'll be looking to, uh, to share that with all my friends and, and people in our network. And there's going to be a lot of shout outs. So several people are from Cutco from the past and from right now that I've already interviewed, but I'm looking forward to launching that immediately right now today on May the 6th. I'm looking forward to Mother's Day weekend to celebrate with my wife, to celebrate because uh, her mother's coming in town, we'll celebrate with two moms in the house at the same time. Uh, that's pretty exciting to celebrate. And I do want to throw two more things out there that really get me excited. I like, like all of us who are seeking personal growth, We've all heard Tony Robbins or someone say that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Everyone's heard that. What does that really mean? Well, I can tell you that I have become associated with two groups in the last two and a half years that have been absolutely phenomenal in my personal growth and development and just overall who I am as a husband, as a father, as a human. One of those groups is the Front Row Dads, led by a former Cutco alumni named John Vroman with old Hal Elrod and John Berghoff involved. Uh, and there's a lot of John Kane in there. And, and that's where I met Dan Cassetta. That's a place for us to work on being the best fathers and husbands that we can be. So I, I've gained so much value from that community, Dan, is one. And a second community is the exchange community, which was led by another former Cutco alumni, John Berghoff, teaching how to unlock hearts and minds at speed and scale through facilitation. And that has helped me professionally with my coaching practice, the way that I show up to facilitate events. So between the personal growth of both of those groups and then working on being a better dad and a husband with one and being the best optimistic human I can be and my business skills of the other, I feel full now and I feel like there's some exciting things to come as a result of those places and those people. So fantastic, Matt. I'm uh, grateful to be on uh, several parts of that journey with you. Obviously, you know, Front Row Dads Exchange are both groups that I engage in as well. It's fun to have a podcast. You're going to enjoy it. It's a, it really is a great part of your own personal development journey. 
And you've added a lot of value for this podcast today for the Cutco Vector audience. I'm grateful to have heard all of your stories and lessons and all the great stuff. Thanks so much for being part of the podcast, Matt. It is my sincerest pleasure. And I love Cutco and Vector. It's done so much for me. The people have been so amazing. And I just want to encourage everyone out there to give it your very best shot, to lean into it. You, know, you may not have everyone in your corner when you start, but I believe, my, my true heart believe that when you give your very best effort at this, that you will win people over and it will be one of the greatest experiences ever. So thank you, Dan, for inviting me and thank you to Cutco and Vector for everything. All right. Thank you, Matt. Well, that was a fun conversation, everybody. Matt Drinkon, what a cool guy. So many good lessons he learned in the early days, energy and inspiration from Bowen Asterson, how to connect with people, which he observed on a field training appointment that resulted in a no sale, but he got a chance to see someone really connecting with someone. The importance of practicing your game, working on your game, working on your skills, working on yourself, so important. What he learned also from Bowen Asserson about digging in with people, asking hard questions, the whole idea of being bold in life, that was a compelling insight as well. He shared the Jim Rohn quote about, you know, don't wish for less challenges, wish for more skills. And that mindset and how that mindset has affected every aspect of his life since then. He's learned to turn challenge into opportunity. He practiced it and proved it, overcoming spinal injury. And by the way, not only has he overcome that now back to walking, he's back to playing golf. He plays golf at a very high level. He competes. He's very, very good at it. And of course, sharing all of his insights with others through his very successful coaching business and all of what he is teaching others and how it has roots in what he learned in Petco Vector. It's so cool to hear all of that stuff. Matt said something pretty compelling toward the end of the conversation. He said, that which you do not love will come back to you until you learn to love and accept it. The interesting and thought-provoking concept, I've been thinking about that pretty deeply here after you know post-interview with Matt and thinking about how that applies in my own life. And it's definitely a great concept to chew on and think about. I hope you got a lot out of that as well as the entire conversation with Matt Drinkon. Thanks everybody for listening to the podcast today. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. Changing lives.